you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in the 11th chapter and verse 1. We'll get there in just a moment as we further introduce our lesson. Begin say how grateful we are for the presence of each of you. Those that are visiting, we're grateful for you. And I hope that we can say some things this morning that will help us as we strive to walk the straight and narrow way and enter the gates of heaven. I want to begin by calling your attention to a word that's found in the New Testament a number of times, not, I don't think you'd say abundant times, but a good number of times. In fact, when I ran it on my concordance, it appears that it's used in the New Testament some 28 times in 25 verses. It's a word that means to subdue or to conquer or to come off as the victor. And if you haven't guessed yet, that word is the word overcome or some form of that word overcome. And let me give you just a few passages where that word is used. In Romans 12 and verse 21, Paul writes, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the book of 1 John in the 5th chapter, in verse 4 and 5, each of those verses contains the word. He said, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then you may remember that as John recorded Jesus' letters to the seven churches of Asia, he used it a number of times and saying, I will give uh, to eat the tree of life in the midst of the, those in the paradise, uh, those that overcome. And what I want you to notice is that there are lots of challenges in living and in living the Christian life. And some may even think they're more than challenges, sometimes they're obstacles. And it's important as Christians, or as we strive to please God, that we overcome these different challenges and these different obstacles in our life. And I was thinking about Paul and how that he faced a number of these challenges or a number of these obstacles in his life. And so what I want to do this morning is to talk about some of the obstacles that Paul overcame and show you not only the obstacles, because we have to face many of the same ones, but to show you how he overcame those, that we can meet the challenges and the obstacles that we face in this life and that we can overcome them. I want to suggest to you, first of all, and, and let me encourage you to get out a Bible because we'll be... Uh, looking in the scriptures and turning to a number of scriptures. But turn, if you would, to the book of Philippians and the third chapter. Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to look, if you would, Philippians chapter 3, and I want to begin reading with you. Uh, in about verse 5. Let me go back even to four. Paul says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. I want to suggest to you that one thing that Paul had to overcome was a life and a religion that is rooted in the flesh. And I think the passage that we just read shows you that Paul had a life and a religion that was rooted in the flesh. And he had to overcome that in order to be a Christian. If you were paying attention as we read that, you'll notice that that he talks about the fact that that he was circumcised the eighth day, that he was a stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Basically what he was saying is that he was of the lineage of Abraham, and in his mind he was better than a Gentile when he was in that condition, and he thought himself to be okay and, and secure even in the eyes of God, because he was of the lineage of Abraham. And then he says, concerning the law of Pharisee. You remember the Pharisees were very zealous in keeping the law. Uh, They changed the law sometimes and and made it more uh, what they wanted it to be. But nevertheless, they supposedly was a group that was zealous of the law and somebody that believed in the resurrection. And Paul says, I was a Pharisee. And then he says, not only that, but concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He viewed at that time the church as being something that threatened the plan of God. And so he was zealous for God in as much as he persecuted the church and thinking that he was zealous for God at least. And he says, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. He would say, look at me. I am a keeper of the law. Now, Let me suggest to you that in doing this, Paul was trusting and glorifying in his abilities to keep that law. And he was glorifying in his fleshly lineage that he was of Abraham. But let me show you some things that Paul learned as he went away or went on in life. He learned that it's not the fleshly seed of Abraham that will be saved, but the spiritual seed of Abraham. In the book of Galatians, in the third chapter, in verse 6, if you want to turn there, Galatians 3 and verse 6, and we'll read another passage from Galatians in just a few minutes, so worth your while to turn to Galatians, the third chapter. But Galatians, the third chapter, in verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham, and this is Paul writing, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith, are the sons of Abraham. Basically what he's saying is, though in times past I looked at this fleshly lineage that I was Abraham and thought that would save me, he has come to the realization that it's not the fleshly seed of Abraham, but the spiritual seed of Abraham that will be saved. If you're in the book of Galatians in the third chapter, look at verse 29. Remember, He trusts that he is blameless in the law. But he says, And you who are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heir according to the law or to the promise. That still goes back with the other one. But look at Galatians 3 and verse 10 now. He said, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, Paul is, is trusting the law, and he says, I'm blameless. But he comes to realize that if I mess up only one time, then I'm condemned by that law. In fact, if you remember in the book of Romans in the 7th chapter in verse 18 through 20, Paul talks about this man, and I think he's talking about himself under the law, how that he was a man that didn't want to do evil, but he said even though he didn't want to do it, sometimes he did it. And he was a man that wanted to do good, but sometimes he, he failed to do good, even though he was wanting to do good. And so in the latter part of that chapter, in chapter 7 and verse uh, 24 or so, and going through the chapter 8 and verse 1, he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? Thank God that Christ Jesus can, he says. And what he goes on to say is, there's no condemnation in those that walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you what he's doing. He's recognizing that while he was trusting in the law, he's lost. Because the law doesn't save, it, it only condemns. In order to be saved by the law, you would have to keep it perfectly. Never fail. Even that Romans 7, that one sin, or, or if he's trying to do good but yields to sin somehow, he's condemned. And he realizes he's condemned, and he cries out, who's going to deliver me? And he answers, it's Christ. Christ is the one that will deliver me. And so he overcomes this life that is rooted in flesh, where he's trusting in his family lineage and where he's trusting in his own good deeds. He comes to realize Christ. And Christ is how we overcome this idea of flesh and, and living in the flesh. I want you to look again to the book of Philippians in the third chapter and drop down now to verse 7. We read down through verse 6 a moment ago, but now read verse 7 and watch the change. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. He has come to value Christ more than any of the accolades he received while he was walking as a Jew and as a Pharisee. He recognized that those things, he would say, I count in verse 8, I, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. He now values Christ more than he does those things. And he says in verse 9, And to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, that would be a righteousness by the law, which he couldn't really have. He says, Being found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then he goes on to say that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection from the dead. And so he references the fact that, that he sought to be raised. That first resurrection I think probably is a spiritual resurrection that he was he was dead in sin, but he was made alive, and he's made alive through his faith in Jesus Christ, and because he's serving Christ, and he's wanting to attain the, the resurrection, the final resurrection of the righteous. 
And so here he is one time trusting in his flesh, in his lineage, and in his own goodness. But he overcomes that. And the way that he overcomes it, he recognizes the value of Jesus Christ and the blessings that Jesus Christ offers, the righteousness that comes by faith and is the righteousness of God, that righteousness which Jesus or which God gives to us through Jesus Christ. It's easy to trust in the flesh. It's easy to to think that we're better than we are and that we can make it ourselves. But to overcome that, we're going to have to start thinking about Jesus Christ and valuing Him more than anything in this flesh. And our goal is going to have to be to be resurrected spiritually so that we can be resurrected as a righteous person at the end of the world. A second thing that I want to suggest to you that Paul overcame that I think we have to sometimes was malicious gospel. Slander even while he was trying to serve the Lord. I want to, to first of all give you some passages that will tell you the real Paul. We're going to look at some things that they said about Paul in a minute, but I want you to see the real Paul and his service. Look over, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians in the third chapter. And we'll read several passages out of 2 Corinthians, so You'll do wise and be wise to turn there. 2 Corinthians 3, and I want to start reading in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some other epistles of commendation to you, or a letter of commendation to you? You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So first of all, he says, we came to you, we preached to you, and we wrote a story, and you are that story. Verse, uh, next verse, clearly you are our epistles ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stones or tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So he wasn't boastful when he was there. He recognized that he was dependent upon God. Look over to chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So he says, when we were there, we weren't relying upon ourselves. We were looking for God, and we didn't. We weren't deceitful with the word of God. This wasn't something we used and tricked you. This indeed was the word of God, and we preached it, and we were uh, there for you to see. Every man could see what we are, what we were doing. Chapter 4 and verse 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves bondservants for Christ's sake. So he says, We recognize we were servants. We didn't try and exalt ourselves. We sought to serve you by preaching Jesus to you. Then chapter 7 and verse 2, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2. Paul says, We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. 
And so all through this letter, he's saying, we conducted ourselves like we should. And, and when he was in Corinthians and preaching the gospel, that wasn't the only time that he preached places. And not only that, but everywhere he went, he was the same kind of person. We'll not take the time to do it, but if you were to turn over to First Thessalonians, the first chapter in verse 5, you'd hear Paul say, you know what kind of person we were. And, it, and he'd give a great detail again about his work when he was in Thessalonica in, in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians in verses 1 through 11. And over and over saying, you saw us. You know what we were. You, you know what we were working in with our own hands so we weren't taken from you. Everything was done for your good, he was saying. But they thought of Paul as a man that didn't keep his word. And maybe some other hints of, of things that they thought might not be quite right with Paul. Look over, if you would, again to 2 Corinthians. This time go to chapter 1 and verse 15 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. And Paul says, and in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and help by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly or the things that I planned? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. And so you see in here he's answering a charge that they made. They said, oh, he, he doesn't keep his word. He told us he was going to come, but he didn't come. And Paul is again trying to say, look, we, we're men and we can't say yes, yes, that everything is not according to us, but we have to understand that our will is according to the will of God. But you see in this that that he uh, is being accused, even while he has done his best in preaching and teaching the word of God, he is now being accused of these people as being someone that exalted himself and was boastful and, and someone that uh, uh, didn't keep his word. And so how did Paul overcome this? Here he is, a man that is given to preaching the gospel, and he's doing his very best, and somebody's pointing at him and saying, he doesn't keep his word because he didn't get to go like he planned to go, or that he's boastful and, and other things like that. Well, I think the answer how he overcame this is that he knew the truth. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, and verse 12. Paul says, For our boasting in, is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by grace of God and more abundantly toward you. What I want you to see is he knew himself. Maybe some of us try and do good deeds sometimes, and, and we try and do those good deeds, and somebody is critical of us. How do we overcome that? Well, one, we know ourselves, as Paul did. He says, I know that we were there, we were preaching the gospel. I know that we did it in simplicity and sincerity and not with fleshly wisdom. We weren't telling you what we thought, but we were telling you what God thinks. 
But then there's another passage that I want you to think about as you think about how did he overcome criticism even when he was doing good. Turn again, if you would, this time to the book of 1 Corinthians, and I want you to turn to chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to start with you in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. This is what we need to remember. One, we do our best, and we live in good conscience as Paul did. But secondly, remember who's going to judge us. What difference does it make if somebody else criticizes? That person is not going to judge us. We're not even our own judge. We do our best and we try and, and let our conscience be aligned to God and, and do what they say do, but he understands that we're not even our own judge. The one that judges is God. And so basically what he's saying is he was able to overcome this criticism because he trusted in God, and he looked to God to be the judge and knows that God will be a fair and righteous judge. We have passages like that in the book of Romans in the second chapter. But a third thing, I want you to know that Paul was not just uh, gossiped against or slandered against. He was actually persecuted. I mean, people tried to hurt him and tried to destroy him because he was preaching the gospel. And maybe we're trying to live a Christian life, and maybe sometimes it gets be, it goes beyond just gossip or slander. Maybe it's actual persecution of some kind. Listen to what Paul says again, this time, 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. And we'll read verses 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 10. And what we're looking for is what Paul suffered as a Christian. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our troubles which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even unto life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust he still will deliver us. What I want you to notice about that passage is Paul said, we had the sentence of death in our life. In fact, we thought we were going to die. And it was only God that delivered us, he says. Uh, that's how close and how much the persecution. Turn over to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, in verse 8. We'll read verses 8 and 9. You again see uh, Paul being persecuted while he is doing righteousness. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. And so he's saying, we were persecuted. We were struck down. All of these kind of things. Look at chapter 7 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. He says, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. 
but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. And his point being that over and over he suffered this persecution. He's trying his best to do what's right. He's even preaching the gospel, and as a result of that, he's being persecuted. How does he handle it? How does he overcome? Well, I can tell you how he overcame it. He looked to things eternal and not temporal things. He had hope. He knew that if he died, it was gain, as he talks about in Philippians, the first chapter, in verse 4, I think it is. But listen again, if you would, to uh, some things he says in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want us to look at verses 16 through 18 as you see how it is that he's able to overcome this physical persecution that he's going through. Beginning in 16, having listed all those things and talking to these people, trying to encourage them not to yield to persecution, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewing day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not, which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so here he is being persecuted. How is he going to overcome that? He's going to again fix his eye on things eternal and not worry about the, the temporal things. And he knows that this body is going to be destroyed, but he says when that happens, we have a house, a building not made of hands. He's talking about heaven there, that we eventually get to heaven and that that's worth all of the suffering that we may have to go through in this life. And so that's how we overcome persecution today. We focus on the things that are eternal, not on the things that are temporal. And then I want you to know that Paul also knew the disappointments of, of through companions sometimes. I want you to turn back to the book of Acts in the 25th chapter for a moment. I'm not sure what I said, but I want you to go to Acts 12 and verse 25. This is as Paul begins his preaching journeys, and he's with Barnabas. And if you look at verse 25, it says that... Uh, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Uh, they returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled his, their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Uh, John Mark. We remember him as Mark, mostly. I, but then look over to chapter 13. They go on this trip. They're beginning to preach. And they go on this trip. And when you come to chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, and when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So now John is with them on this occasion. Look at verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Pergamon in Pamphylia, 
and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And so here he's had John with him. He's been an assistant to him. And now John leaves him. And let me suggest to you, this wasn't planned. That was, it wasn't the plan that John would leave them at Paphos. They intended for him to go wherever they went and be their assistant. But he left them. And it wasn't pleasing to Paul. Look over to chapter 15 and look at verse 37. They have completed that journey and they've dealt with the question of circumcision in Jerusalem and now they're ready to go on another journey of preaching and teaching. And verse 50, or verse 37 says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one that had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. Then the contention between them so sharp that they departed from one another. And so Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and you'd see in the next verse that Paul took Silas. And so here's a man that Paul has, has taken with him, thinking he's going to be of help to me, and he assisted him some, but then he left. And that had to disappoint Paul, and so much so that he didn't want to take John with him the next time. But he didn't stop working. Paul didn't stop working because he was disappointed in this one fellow. Maybe there's been people that have disappointed us. Maybe we, we've put our, our friendship and trust in a preacher and he let us down. Or maybe it's just a fellow Christian and he let us down. And, and we're disappointed by that. Well, how do you overcome it? Well, one, you don't stop working. You keep on working. Paul just found somebody else that he could work with and went about working still. And that's got to be our attitude. And I want you to look over, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. And notice what's said. This is when Paul is in prison or, or writing to Timothy at this time. And he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. This is the same Mark that we read back in Acts. And what I want you to see is that Paul, even though he was disappointed with him, later saw the value of Mark and said, bring him to me, he is useful. And that's our attitude, what we've got to be. We've got to uh, deal with disappointment sometime and, and work through it and keep on working. But we don't write the person off. We don't have a grudge against the person. And when we see uh, that he can serve us again, we use that. And we do it that way. Uh, one more, or a couple of more things, but look over to the book of 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. I want you to notice that Paul had to deal with what we'd call handicaps as he worked. And talking about physical things. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and beginning in verse 7, Paul said, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted. And so he says, I have what he calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh is, and, and somebody can, and all kinds of uh, suggestions have been made. Let's just believe it that he had a thorn in the flesh, and it was a, a, something that he says that, was Satan had given him and was trying to destroy him. But 
you see that Paul dealt with this. And you see as you go on is that Paul prayed. He talks about how he prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh be removed from him. But he never moved. God did, my grace is sufficient to you. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so even though wasn't gone, Paul began to realize, I'm still blessed. In fact, I'm blessed because my weakness makes me depend upon God more. Maybe we sometimes have something that we think, I wish I could get rid of that. I, and, and maybe in our minds we think, I could serve God even more if I didn't have this handicap. And yet we pray and it doesn't, it's not taken away. We need the attitude of Paul that my grace or God's grace is sufficient to us. And understand God is watching after us. And he knew that if Paul had this thorn in the flesh taken out, that he'd be more likely to, to be leaning on himself. And he says, my strength is made perfect in, in weakness. And so we need to realize that. Then I want to suggest to you, Lastly, that Paul overcame a life of sin or a past life of sin. Let me share with you some specifics from Paul's life. In the book of Acts in the seventh chapter, you have the preaching of Stephen. And you remember they reacted to the preaching of Stephen by stoning him. In chapter 7 and verse 50, it tells us that there was a man there by the name of Saul who held the coats of those that actually stoned Stephen. And so he was giving his approval of the stoning of a preacher. When you look at chapter 8 of Acts, in verse 1, it tells us now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. In verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He's not content just to, to persecute Stephen. He's now looking for any Christian. And he goes in their houses and drags them out. And then you find out later that, that he was even headed to Damascus to persecute Christians there. He wasn't even content just there where he was. He went to Damascus to persecute Christians. And he did all of this in good conscience. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. Look how Paul summed his own life up in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 13. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 13. And he says, I before was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent. And then he says, I was chief of sinners. This is how Paul characterized himself. That he looked at himself as being chief of sinners. He looked at all the people in the world and he said, I'm the worst. And he had persecuted Christians. We can understand how he might feel that way. And maybe sometimes we think, I have a sin. How am I going to get over this sin? Or maybe we see people sometimes that just think, I am so bad, I couldn't possibly come to Christ. Well, look at Paul. And look how he overcame. Look at 1 Timothy 3, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 1, and look down to verse 13, if you would. Having said, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but, but I attained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith 
and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How was he going to overcome this life of, of persecuting Christians, of being against God's will, even though he thought he was doing God's will? He says, it's Jesus Christ. And note what he's saying also. He says, this is a worthy saying. Look at me. I, I'm chief of sinners. And yet Christ was able to cleanse me and use me. And that's his message. This is a faithful saying. Even if we have sins in times past, it doesn't make any difference what they are. They can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so he trusted in God to forgive him. In the book of Isaiah, in the first chapter, in verse 18, the prophecy said, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That is, you can be crimson in sin, dark stains of sin, but God can cleanse us. In Ezekiel 18, in verses 20 through 22, he talks about the, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But then he turns around and says, But if one repents, and then I will forgive them of that sin and I will remember it no more. You'll not answer for that sin. Doesn't make any difference what it's been if you carry it to Jesus and you're forgiven of it when you stand before God in judgment, that sin's not going to come up. You may commit others and that needs to be forgiven or those sins will come up, but any sin that Christ has forgiven, that sin's not going to come up in judgment. Paul said, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. We're going to see challenges as we try and live this Christian life. And some more than challenges, some may be obstacles to us, we think. But we can find the answer and overcome these. Look, if you would, to the book of Philippians in the third chapter one more time. We'll end with this verse. That just seems to, to summarize Paul's idea and how he overcame all of these obstacles and what we need to do to overcome obstacles and Challenges. Verse 13 of Philippians 3, he said, Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now the things behind were all of those glories that he had that we talked about, of being of Abraham's seed and fleshly and being a Pharisee and being counted worthy in the Jewish religion. But he says, all of those things I counted lost or, or, or put behind me. And then verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us many as are mature have this mind in you, in everything, or, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So here's Paul's exhortation to us. Fix your eyes on the goal, which is heaven, and press toward that goal. And walk where you've attained. Anything you know you need to be doing, do it now. And keep pressing toward that goal. And he says, and if anything we lack, if that's our attitude, if we lack something, God's going to show it to us so we can get it right. If you have some obstacle, some problem that you're facing that is hindering you in your Christian life, then do the same things Paul did. Look to Jesus for the healing and for the cleansing and for the strength to go on.
you're not a Christian, want to become a Christian this day, then we stand ready to assist you in that. If you've done that but not been faithful and need to confess faults, we stand ready for that. You'll come while together we stand and sing. Come to Jesus, he will save.